0: Now we are at a time where, um, you know, there, there's pre-seasons and football seasons and all kinds of seasons. I want you to picture a football game as such. Now, now, I don't get a chance to watch television as much as I want to. I don't get a chance to watch Games or anything like that of any kind of sports. But I want you to picture that you have the South Street agnostics coming into the field, all 35 players. The band is playing. The the people in the bleachers are cheering them on. They are right there. And then you have on the other side of the field, you have the side of the heavenly Christian church. And all 300 members of the Heavenly Christian Church are in the bleachers waiting for their team to come out. And here comes a pastor running just in the middle of the field, breaks the flag all by himself, and they're chanting, yay, pastor, pastor, he's our man. If he can do it, no one can. He gets the ball, he's running out there, and immediately he gets tackled by 35 people from the other team. But it's his ball, he, he throws it, and then he runs and tries to catch it himself and gets hit out of nowhere again. And he's tackled down, and, and suddenly, next thing you know, he fumbles the ball. The other team scores. They get the field goal. The score is 7-0. The agnostics are up. And somebody in the bleacher says, we need to pray for our pastor. He's doing his best out there. He's working really hard. Come on, let us pray. I know that this is somewhat of an exaggeration. But it is what church looks like many a time. And biblically, it's supposed to be just the opposite. Every member of the congregation has a special calling of God to serve others' needs. Both inside the church and out of the church. You know, in two weeks, I'm going to talk about how to make a difference in your community. And we'll be addressing that. We're going to be talking a little bit about, you know, some of the things that are happening in the world, even the things here in the U.S. like Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, and so forth. We'll, we'll address that. I was tempted to talk about that today, but I said, no, no. We need to focus on in the church first and then out the church. Because what good is it that we bring people from outside into the church and then scare them away? So so in two weeks, we'll address that. We'll We'll talk about that prayerfully and biblically. But my God... When he prayed in John 17, he, he, he visioned a church that was together in oneness, a church that can be a place of trust, belonging, and of hope. And so if we're going to do this, remember when we met with the when, when we ordained the elders, what was the very first thing that I said to them? I said to them that the best help that they can give the church is beginning in their own what? In their own homes. Go with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua, chapter 24 verse 15 some of you may have this verse posted in your doorposts, a little picture frame some of you may have it memorized some of you may have heard it and probably don't remember it now but, but once we hear it you'll remember Joshua 24 15 and it says the following Joshua 24 15 when you have it Amen? Amen? Okay. So here are a couple of pages. Um, Joshua twenty four fifteen. it says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. As I extend that a little bit, go with me to Proverbs 15. Work your way to Proverbs 15. You know, there was a a real issue here in Joshua. You're seeing something that is happening and he stands up and said, look, you know, you're worshiping this, you're worshiping that, you're being distracted by this, you're being distracted by that. I'm telling you, you need to choose this date, who it is that you will serve. But me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And so the best thing you could do for making a difference in your church, I want to encourage all of you that you're able to say, you know what, regardless of what craziness are out there, all of the distractions, the latest gossips. I don't know if you picked up on that when we ordained the elders and the deacons for the woman. He kept saying, but you know what, guys are the worst gossipers, but we just call it guy talk. So, you know, you got to watch out for that. But even with all of the gossips and all of those things, don't let that be a distraction. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What say ye? Will you and your house save the Lord? I want to encourage you to do that. If you want to make a difference in your church, in your home is the first place that you need to start making a difference. You cannot expect to never pray in your home and then come here and try to say a prayer. You cannot expect to never read the Bible and then come here and try to do a scripture reading. And I'm not saying that there's never a wrong time to start. There's no time like the present. But what I'm saying, how much better would it be when you share the scriptures and when you say those prayers when at home throughout the week you've been doing that? Do you realize that church is a fellowship potluck? You know, you you throughout the week, you, you build all these things, and you come together, and you come here with a worshiping atmosphere. You bring into the potluck, you bring in your own worship attitude, and that could be for good or for bad. You bring your weak experiences, you know, and, for, and from the week. if it was great experiences, you say, I have a praise. If it was bad experiences, I have a prayer request. And the idea is that we uplift one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. But the idea is that we come together and do this. I have to tell you, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a little bit hyper, you know. <laughs> uh, this was before they diagnosed people with ADD, ADHD, and all kinds of drugs that they give them and stuff. I'm sure I have it on Diagnose. But, but I have to tell you, I really struggle when I go to church, and there are some pastors that just, just, just speak like this, the whole... <sighs> You know, I just but but I also have to tell you, I had a pastor in New Jersey um, and I just struggled with listening to him speak. I really did because of the delivery. But when I started paying attention to the words, I realized that this were powerful messages. You see, what happens is that. It is all about the worship attitude that you came here with. And whenever anybody stands up here and opens the Word of God, if you come, if you come one way and leave the same, there's a problem. If you get nothing out of the Word of God being open and read or preached, there's something wrong with you. Do you understand that? I mean, because it is all about what you're coming with. That's what the idea is. So the best thing that you could do is to take care of your home so that when you come to church, you have that. Bring God into your home that you could say, "As for me and my house. Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15, verse 16. Proverbs 15, verse 16. It says, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. You know, I do couples counseling and I do family counseling and, and I've had families. You know, I was just talking to a lady this week who has disconnected from her son. And I said, you know, you got to work on, you know, he just turned 18. There's some challenges there. You got to work on connecting. She's like, yes, I offer him to buy him tickets anywhere. If he wants to go to Puerto Rico to see family, if he wants to go over here to see the other one and, and to buy whatever he needs. And I said, no, 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 no. You need to connect with him. If your parenting style can be replaced by an unlimited credit card then that's not parenting at all. It is important that you provide for your children, but providing for your children shouldn't be the thing that keeps you away from your kids. I've met people, husbands, that work like crazy for the family, but then they miss birthdays and graduations and all kinds of other things. It is better to have little in the house. Bring out the PB&J, everybody grab your spoons, and this is all we got. But with the fear of the Lord, then great many things Without that, with hatred. Do you see that? Read the next verse, Proverbs 15, verse 17. It says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fat calf with hatred. Come on now. Go with me to Isaiah 49.25. Isaiah 49.25. And when you have it, say amen. The next two pieces here that we're reading it has to do with our children. It has to do with our children. We're going to go to Isaiah Isaiah 49.25. It has to do with our children. And this is very important because we as parents, you have a huge responsibility. Kevin and Sarah, I think you guys are great. I've appreciated the time that I've known you both. But understand, as elders of this church... Your responsibility is to God first, your wife and kids, you know, her husband and wife, spouses and children, and then the church. Many people try to make a thing that is God, church, and then family. It's not how it works. What profits a man to save the whole world but lose his soul? What profits a man to save the whole church but lose his family? And so understand your responsibilities. And all of you here, whether or not you're elders or deacons or whatever it is that you do for the church, right? Because this is a church where everyone works, right? We don't have any bench warmers. Okay, good. And, and so, so whatever it is that you're doing for God, your family and your children is your first responsibility. For the single ladies who don't have a husband in the home, unfortunately, you have to do two parts. You now have to be the spiritual leader as well. For the, for the ladies who have a husband in the house, but they're not they're not a man of God, your responsibility is still be to be a spiritual leader in the home. For the men who are single, for the men who uh, have spouses that are not here, your home is your first priority. Isaiah forty nine twenty five. It says, "But says the Lord." Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terror will be delivered, for I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save what? Your children, and I will save your children. Go with me to Acts sixteen, last text for today, Acts sixteen thirty one. Acts sixteen thirty one. When you have it, say amen. Acts sixteen thirty one. We had a biblical discussion this morning about we're studying the book of Mark. By the way, for those that don't know, we have a collegiate Sabbath school class right across the parking lot in the fellowship hall. Um, There was maybe like five or six of us this morning, maybe seven. Um, but we have a nice nice collegiate class, and so we're studying right now through the Gospels. We we went through Mark 13. We're going to be starting Mark 14 next week, and, and we'll continue there. But as we were working with Mark 13, I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, is the equivalent of Matthew 24, the signs of the end, how things are going to be in the end times. And we saw one of the, the texts on there that says that first, before the Lord comes, that all of the Gospel has to be preached to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And one of the collegiate students asked the question, but how does that work if babies are being born every day? So how is it that that works? I mean, he's going to come, and then what about those kids? Well, Acts 16.31 says, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Understand that when kids know how to do right and wrong, and I don't know the age, I really don't know the age. I was exposed to so many things by the time I reached my son's age that I'm so glad that I'm ahead of the game with how, how, how good and shelter he's been so far because I was corrupted very, very young. And so I learned very, very young about the good and the evils of this world. And, and so when a child knows the difference between right or wrong and he makes the wrong choices, that's between him and God. But while the child is still yet innocent, Per the scriptures, and I'll share a passage also from Ellen White as well, it seems to indicate, and I believe that wholeheartedly, that through the parents, salvation can get to the children. And so here's what it says in... um, Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 313. It says, I know that some question whether the little children of even believing parents should be saved because they have no test of character and all must be tested and their character determined by trial. The question is asked, how can little children have this test and trial? I answer that the faith of the believing parents covers their children. And so your first responsibility, your first responsibility is to your family. The first if you want to make a difference in your church. Where do you begin in your what? In your home. Absolutely. That's where we first begin. And so we need to take steps to go into that direction. Understand. Somebody's calling me. Understand that, um, that whatever you do, no matter how little it is, the steps, my God will multiply that. That you ought to bring that to the throne of grace. Bring your children, bring your spouses, bring whatever it is that you're doing. Just like that little boy fed the multitudes, with the little bit that he brought and God multiplied that, you give a little bit of you for the better of your children and God will multiply that. Now when I say a little bit, I don't mean hold back without surrendering What I'm saying is that if you're having a tough time, you know what? Make it a point to at least sit down and read a chapter a day and pray a little bit. Little by little, you're going to catch yourself doing much more. I had some youth in New Jersey where I told them, give me five minutes a day. And I had some of them as they started reading, man, it was like 30 minutes. And my mom had told me to hurry up because I had to go to school and I got all caught up in what I was reading. But you give a little bit and God will grow that. It's like that father who says, Lord, I believe, help My unbelief. You know, you you, you begin, you're starting, you do your part, and He will multiply that. And so, the very first thing that I want you to do, I want you to make a difference in your church after working in your home. Here are some things. Number one, be a connector. You got to connect. And you're going to do that first where? If you begin in your home, where are you going to do that first? Be a connector. So, where are you going to try to connect first? In your home. I know you didn't know what I'm preaching. I have the notes, so I'm cheating. But I want you to understand that if your first priority is your house, you're going to be a connector in your home. What that means is that those of you who have real jobs, when you come home, you get to the driver, you had a tough time, you are stressed, turn off the radio, turn off the car, just take their five minutes and pray, Father God, just help me leave that other junk at work. And come home and really connect with my family. That I don't walk in through the door and my kids say, daddy, daddy. And I'm just, I got to go shower and I got to go do whatever. And you spend no time for them. Go right ahead and take the time. Yes, son. Yes, daughter. Yes, honey. Yes, whatever it is, however you address them. And spend time with them and take the time to connect with them. Now, once you take care of your home, what can you take care of? The church, absolutely. Let me tell you this: this is probably the hardest part for people. By the way, any similarities to the stories that I'm about to tell here are merely coincidental. Okay, but I have had people in churches. Sorry, I have to give the disclaimer because I don't want to get beat up, you know. But I have had people in churches before. You know, you, you know this family. They always sit in the same pews of the church. It is strategically placed not too close to the front, not too close to the back, but just right. And it so happens that they have a much shorter family sitting in front of them. So it is great because they don't have to go out of their way to see what's happening because, you know, chiropractors are expensive. So, so they have the right seat in the right location above the right measurement height of people who are not taller than them. So they're doing this and they love to sit there. And for decades, that has been their pew. And may God have mercy on your soul if you put something down in their seat because they will move it. May God have mercy on your soul if you're sitting on their seat because they will let you know. Oh? Hmm. And suddenly everything sounds heavy. You know, you, you hear it as they're going elsewhere. And, and come on now, if you can't say it, man. Say, ouch. But I want to give you a challenge. I I want to give you a challenge. I want to encourage you that next time you come in, not today, but next time you come in, stand in the back and say a prayer. Father God, next to which lonely person do you want me to see sit next to today? I mean, just play musical chairs. How about you do it this way? Try to never sit on the same pew. See how long, how many Sabbaths it will take you to sit in a whole different part of the church and go from the corner to the middle, to the left, to the right, whatever it is. But I want you to really try that. Give that a try. There was a family that I actually tried this, and this is why they said, You know, they were challenged and they recounted experience. Since that time, we now see the worship service in an entirely new way. We used to come as consumers and complain about what did not meet our needs. Now we come as missionaries. As we enter, we offer a little silent prayer. Lord, what lonely, hurting person do you want us to encourage today? So be a connector in your home. Say a prayer before you get out of the car. In the church, say a prayer before you enter. Imagine how that will make a difference in your church. Number two, be a storyteller. You know, stories are wonderful. You know, read the room. You know, it's better than becoming preachy or, or somebody that is providing a lecture. But share the stories, how God has delivered you. And you know what? Stories of victories are great, but stories of failure are so much better. People enjoy to see that the fact that you have been there, done that, that you have failed, but you have strived. Because if you've been there and you struggle and you have failed, but now you're here sharing that with me, it gives me hope for when I've had my failures. It gives me encouragement. So be a storyteller. Also be an educator. Become acquainted with the word of God. As much as possible. And teach it to others. You got to change the mind before you change the method. And right now if we're going to be a loving church. A church of trust, belonging and hope. Our minds need to be completely transformed. And that can only be accomplished through God working in us. And through us. And through the word of God we get to see a lot of this. You know churches go through their stages. They go through a visioning stage. There's been research over the years. And this is what happens. Visioning. Before there was not a church building. Some group of people had a vision and developed a dream uh, and and created a congregation in that town or city. And so they went right ahead and had the plans and the vision. We need a church right here. Number two, goal setting. They organize, they make plans, they set goals. Number three, ministry. The group reaches out to non-church people, minister to their needs, and the congregation grows. Number four, maintenance. The group builds a church and continues to grow for several years or decades, and then it may hit a plateau. And instead of expanding, all of the energy and funding seems to go simply into maintaining what we already have. Number five, nostalgia. If they are not careful, they can begin slipping down the slope of decline. More and more of the stories that are told are about the good old days rather than current experiences. The best days of the church seems to be behind. Number six, disunity. The congregation is splitting into little cliques and losing its sense of cohesion and unity. Come on now, you can't say amen. Say ouch. And number seven, spiritual death. The doors are still open and programs continue, but the spiritual life has gone out of the church. It's like soda without the fizz. Decaffeinated soda, but, but no bubbles. And so I don't know what stage this church is as a whole. I'll leave that up to you because you have more insights than I do. But understand that regardless of what stage we're in, one of the things that we can do to make a difference, one of the things to, to, to recover from whatever state we're in into the state that we ought to be is to begin to return to visioning and dreaming, to go back to stage one. There's something in the Bible to the churches in Revelation about remembering your first love. You guys remember that? Yeah. Look into that, because that may be where we need to head if we want to make a difference in our church. Continually revisiting the dreaming and the vision stage, a place where we can this, where this can be a place of trust and belonging and hope for a community that is in such a dire need. Two last things for you to keep in mind. You want to be a discoverer. As you see people in the church, let me tell you this. I am complaint central, and I praise God for my elders because I understand they get more than I do, and they don't always pass along everything. And so I'm glad for that. Thank you for, for filtering some of those things. But rather than complain central, when you recognize church members going above and beyond, doing things differently, doing things in, in the name of God, recognize them. Let them know, you know what? I noticed today how you took care of this family, how you helped this individual. Wow, praise God. And you know, encourage them because sometimes we feel like all of the work is not appreciated in any way. On the contrary, it's scrutinized in, so, in such a way and they talk bad about us to the point that we get discouraged to even do anything. So I want to encourage you to be a discoverer. And lastly, I want you to be a turtle. You ever heard that, read that, that kid's storybook or watch the cartoons about the turtle uh, uh, and the hare? Yeah, the, the rabbit, right? You know, it's not just leaps and bounds, but be sturdy with everything that you do. I did that personally with trying to lose weight. Years ago, I was like a yo-yo, gained 50 pounds, lost 50 pounds, gained 50 pounds, lost 50 pounds. My stretch mark has stretch marks. I mean, it was just bad. And then suddenly, when I talked to my wife and I said, you know what, Honey? We need to start making lifestyle changes. And, you know, two years in, I'm 50 pounds lighter. I'm still working on that. But we suddenly started changing our daily routine, not just go through a diet of one week and then call it a day and celebrate the is over the following three weeks. You know, it is not how it works. And when it comes to the matters of church continually, little by little, don't spend two hours here in church on Sabbath and let that be your spirit fill for the week. Daily spend time with God. Little by little, when you minister to people, little by little, we may not be a see a, we may not be able to see a huge change, but the change is there. You know, Uzo earlier, just a year and a half ago, he was much shorter than me. And every time we stand up to pray, that's why I have us kneel now, because I feel kneel. Once he kneels, then I kneel. You know, because when we stand up, it's just, but growth happens, and you don't notice. So be a persistent turtle in all that you do, in your spiritual connection with God, in your daily devotion, and how you connect with people in the church little by little. The scripture for reading for today was found in, in Matthew 25 23. And it, says his, and it says the following His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of the Lord. If you paid attention to nothing that I share in this message, I need you to pay attention right now. I struggle. I really, really struggle with some of our mindsets in our churches. I am so excited. Who's coming the 15th and the 16th? You got, heard it in the audio. You had the thing there. Who, who's coming? Carlton Burr, Right. So, so we got together with a couple of churches, right? And, and it's so nice because we're going to have a piano player from one church, a few singers from another. We're going to come together. We're practicing at four, by the way, those who were committing to practice. And so it's nice to come together and practice and, and, and get the different churches praising. But I have heard when it comes to singing and preaching, I have heard people make the comment. You know what? I love how your church worships. I love how they sing. When I go to heaven, I'm going to come to your side of heaven to worship with you. As though there would be some kind of segregation in heaven. I have heard, I'm going to come to your side and eat your food and taste your things. And you know, I understand that. But if in our own churches, we can't get along. If in our own churches, we have this attitudes of pride and all these various things and they're, they're, they're still in us. And you know what? I mm, That family, mm, you know, what makes you think that we're going to be able to spend eternity together in heaven? Don't you realize that while we're here unto Christ come, while he's building those mansions for us, this is character training? Isn't there something in the Bible that it is by beholding that we become changed? Or is it by withholding? And then in heaven, when we're transformed, then we'll get to do that. Come on, church. It may seem little, but in the little things you were faithful. Come, you good and faithful servant, and experience The joy of the Lord wasn't a whole lot that I shared today, but I pray it is something that you take with you so that we can begin to make a difference in our church. Let us go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for being such an amazing God and Lord. This is something that we say it and and I heard some folks say amen extra loud into the direction of others. I get it that, that that some of us here can apply some of the things expressed. But, Lord, the best way that we can really make a difference in this church is for a difference to be made in us. Father God, if we are the ones that are full of gossip and hatred and all of these things work in our hearts. Lord, if we recognize this in others, please help us, you know, put them in prayer and encourage them to pray and, and, and pray for one another. Father God, when Christ prayed in John 17, it was a prayer that called for unity. And it went through various stages, but the ultimate goal was that they may be one. So Lord, I pray for every individual in this church, that you work in our heart, that you turn this heart of stone into a heart tender, a flesh of love and compassion that you work in us and help us walk in your steps daily so that when we come here once a week, we can share your love and your mercies with one another. May you work in us and through us for the benefit of all. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.